Welcome to the Sanity Pod, honest human stories from the front lines of startup life. Our mission is to normalize the ups and downs of creating something from nothing and the challenges common to every leader, such that we might all feel a little less alone in the journey. In our first season, we are focusing on stories and tactical advice from leaders guiding organizations through the coronavirus crisis. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. Yeah, so I think it'll be quiet here. I mean, James is downstairs. Uh, I told him I was on the radio. So we'll see if he respects that. No worries. I, part of the goal here is to normalize the experiences that leaders are having. And for sure, one of those experiences is trying to run companies and get interviewed while juggling having kids in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Today, I'm excited to welcome my good friend, Isaac Oates. Isaac is the founder and CEO of JustWorks, a 580-person startup based in New York City, the U.S. epicenter of the current crisis. Isaac and I chat preparing a team for fully remote, leading in crisis, and running a company while parenting in quarantine. You'll learn tactics for communicating in times of crisis, for supporting a team in a newly dispersed environment, and for getting through times when capital is tight. You're going to love Isaac. Quick requests for you, our listeners. Please follow and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your positive reviews are our lifeblood. If you have any questions or topics you'd like covered on an upcoming episode, or any feedback at all, please email us at questions at thesanitypod.com. Now on to Isaac. Isaac, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for thanks for having me. I, I know so many people are are trying to figure this out. Everybody for the first time. I think uh, in a lot of ways, you know, I think people maybe feel like they have permission to not know what they're doing for the first time in a while, like the first time in my professional career, uh, because it's so new for everybody. And that's that's like a pretty it's an interesting and pretty cool side effect of the situation. That and obviously a situation that's pretty tough for the most part. So you run a little company in New York. How about we start there? Yeah. So I am the founder and CEO of JustWorks, and we are based in New York City. We have about 580 people on our team. And until about three weeks ago, all of us worked out of uh, one office in Chelsea in Manhattan. And, um, you know, I've actually, it's, it's funny. So I guess in terms of what we do as a business, so we are what is affectionately known as a PEO or professional employer organization. But what that means in English is that we help small businesses to pay their employees and access benefits and kind of navigate HR challenges. JustWorks has been around about seven years. So I started the company in January, 2013. Uh, we have around hundred million dollars in annualized revenue. And um, not that people really talk about it that much, I guess, publicly, but we uh, currently we break even. So we have around $100 million in um, an annualized expense and we, uh, we have some money in the bank. We closed a financing round uh, in January led by Union Square Ventures. Um, very fortunate, I think, the timing but it you know it means that we're basically operating in a position where we're not really generating much cash, we're also not burning much cash, and we have a pretty big cash reserve 
uh, so that even, you know, if we experience some challenges, so we will experience some challenges during this, this cycle, we think, we think we'll be okay in the long term. So it sounds like the timing of that round worked out really well. I'm sure there are people listening to this that are thinking, fuck this guy. He's got a massive business and a ton of money in the bank. And I'm sitting here burning cash and struggling to know what to do, uh, sitting in the middle of a crisis. So why do I even listen to this podcast? Um, which if they're, if they're still here, <laughs> might be helpful to point out that uh, times haven't always been quite so flush and that you've been quite a hustler through times of famine as well in the history of this thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, as well as anyone that when, uh, you know, when I first started the company, uh, so in 2013, you know, obviously, we were already in an expansion. But, you know, I definitely wasn't a particularly skilled raiser of funds. And, you know, I think specifically, you know, around, um, you know, around nine months into when we'd existed, we were starting to run out of money from our first seed round. And, you know, we're, you know, I'm like making the rounds with all these VCs, thinking that we could get more. And basically, you know, not very many people were saying no, but definitely no one was saying yes. And, you know, the, we, we were about six weeks from running out of cash and shuttering the business when I got an investor to um, come in and basically lead a rescue round, for lack of a better term. I think we called it at the time a seed extension because that sounded less desperate. It's better brand. Yeah, but it was the truth is like we were about to run out of money. And this, of course, this happens to to all kinds of venture-backed companies and, and non-venture-backed companies. And it was awful. You know, I remember, you know, sort of feeling like falling into a state of, of depression. I really felt like I'd let the team down. You know, I wasn't very transparent with them about how badly the fundraising was going. So we'd have our weekly all-hands, which was 10 of us. You know, somebody would say, oh, well, how's the, how's the fundraising? And I'd be like, oh, it's fine. But it wasn't fine. It was in the in the gutter. And, um, you know, I got to this point, I remember in kind of like January, February of 2014, so about a year after we'd started, whereas like I would go in the bathroom every day and I would like go sit in the stall and then I would just play Clash of Clans on my phone for 20 minutes, which is just like, <laughs> if you haven't played this game, it's just this like really stupid and mindless game where you build like a little fortress in like some sort of medieval world on your phone. And, but it was just like one of those things that it just to kind of take my mind off of the situation. And, you know, it's tough. I mean, especially if you're out there and you're trying to raise equity capital, it's like, you know, investors, like they, they want to see, how confident you are and how optimistic you are and they want to hear the dream but the more they say no i think the harder it is to to do that or at least to do it authentically yeah, and i'm absolutely. just not much of a liar i don't know not, not, not even good at it if i wanted to be um and so it just got harder and harder so that was like a really so i mean i've definitely been on the other side of this um and i think also i've had a lot of mentors over the years that are pretty conservative and they've they've said things like capital is always available but at what cost and so i've tried to make sure that we didn't get too far ahead of our our uh revenues when we we're spending and things like that we just recorded uh with jerry colonna and he was talking about meditating and journaling and i feel like clash of clans was your equivalent of how to center yourself between meetings so i really appreciate the contrast there 
Yeah, I get really fidgety when I try to do things like journal and meditate. Although one of these days, maybe I'll figure it out, but I definitely haven't figured it out yet. Well, thank you for sharing that piece of history. Um, it's very inspiring. And as someone that's gotten to have a sideline, sideline seat through a lot of this uh, in our friendship, um, congrats on the success in the last couple of years here, man. Super cool. Um, Thanks. It must have been a hell of a transition. Is there a time in the last several weeks or months where it felt like life as normal? And could you bring us back there and then talk us through the experience for you at, at a, particularly at just a, a human level and a leadership level of going from life as normal to life as it is today? What's that been like for you? Yeah. So, you know, I think um, it was like three or four Fridays ago. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I was, uh, I was downtown. I just gotten a I had just gone to the dentist. I was like drooling on myself. And uh I got I got a phone call from a good friend who works uh who works at the city in uh, New York. And you know, she was like, Hey, um, they're about to announce that uh the first confirmed cases of coronavirus are in the city. And, you know, so maybe it'll be on the news on Monday. You know, but I I heard that and I was just I was just like, oh, this is this is here and this is real and it's going to be bad. And I don't know how I knew that or thought that or whatever, but that was just kind of my immediate reaction. And then, uh, you know, Monday morning, I had a, I have a, a daily meeting with one of my teams about a group of about 30 at work. And I sat down with them. And I put a slide and kind of, we have this like briefing deck we go through and it had like that picture of the coronavirus from the PBS news hour, just like the like big ball with spikes on it. And I was just, you know, I was just like, Hey guys, um, this is happening. And, uh, you know, we just need to be ready and we need to make sure that we can operate no matter what. And so, you know, because we do payroll and tax and stuff like that, like there's some paper-based operations. We have to mail in certain tax returns and checks and things and so we started talking through that morning, you know, how are we going to do what we have to do if, if, you know, we weren't allowed to leave our homes, for example. And then, you know, someone on the team asked, you know, is it possible that they could start working from home? They just didn't feel really comfortable, uh, you know, using public transportation to come in. And, you know, I didn't answer the question right away, but I thought about it for a few hours. I talked to my head of HR kind of got her sense of it. And I was just like, you know what? Like, you know, I need people to be on their A game. And and if they're going to be on their A game by not stressing out about a commute on a train full of, of potentially sick people, then we should probably enable that. And so that afternoon, we uh, decided that, that that team could start working from home if they wanted. And the policy rolled out across the company pretty quickly after. And then by that weekend... Uh, you know, I just kind of kept getting information that it was getting worse and it was getting worse. And I remember like talking with my head of HR on Sunday evening, it was about three weeks ago. And, you know, it's just like, you're just like, well, this is definitely going to get worse before it gets better. And there's just not a lot of downside to closing the office preemptively. Like, you, like what's the worst case is like, you look a little bit silly um, but the worst case, if you do the other way, if you don't close is like a whole bunch of your employees get sick, which is terrible for them and terrible for the business. So, 
we decided that we announced that night that, you know, we were closing the office. People could come in on Monday if they wanted to get their stuff. And, um, and the thing that I, you know, it's like when I think about what we did that I, I think, you know, really helped, you know, we just kind of envisioned like what's life going to be like if we're doing this. And we let everybody put in an order for like work from home stuff. So, you know, monitors, keyboards and uh, cameras and mice, and like all those things, um, which turned out to be great. Uh, we ordered, we put in a, an order for chairs. Uh, I just got my chair the other day from Staples, but we were like, you know what? If you're going to be sitting at home for three weeks or three months, you know, which who's to say, you know, it's like uh, paying for an extra chair is a small price to pay. Um, so those are like the kinds of things that we started thinking about, like very kind of nuts and bolts. What is every day going to look like? Um, but I don't know. I just have, I've just had this feeling the all the way through that um, this just might be worse than people think it is. And I've also been thinking a lot about um, about like these big historical events, things like the Berlin Wall. It's like if you knew when when they were starting to build the Berlin Wall, what life was going to be like on both sides of the wall. It's like you might have made a different decision about what side you were on when they finished the wall. But you know, people, they're kind of like, well, you know, my kid's in school or something important is coming up or whatever. And then they stay put and then, you know, live for 30 years with a decision they regret. And I'm not, this is not like the, certainly not the same thing, but I think throughout history, there are these moments where in, in hindsight, it just looks so obvious what the, the, the right move was, but, but at the time, it's, it's not obvious. And so I've just kind of been thinking about that and figuring that I'd rather err like a little bit more on the side of being careful where, where like the downside really is just that I look like a crackpot. Right. And it's like, if, if, if that's, if that's the cost is I look like a crackpot, then okay. But I think so far it's actually worked out pretty well. Do you think some of your perspective here comes from your time in the military? Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot. So I was in the the national guard for 12 years and got to go to all the great training that that army officers go to um, and and lead in lots of different situations. And, you know, I mean, the military obviously is very it's very operational. Um, it's very tactical. Um, and, you know, it's very focused on necessity. It's like an environment of necessity. So there's not a whole lot of like, I want this. I want that in a military environment. It's very much like this is what needs to happen right now. And um, I, do, I do think that uh, my, my, the instincts that I think developed over the time that I was in the military that have been like somewhat relevant as I've grown a, a business have become really relevant through a period like this where, you know, the environment just shifts so quickly and you're really just thinking about you know, some very concrete impacts that, that might happen. Today's episode is brought to you by Pluto Pillows. In all of life's little ups and downs, sleep is perhaps your most important ally. Pluto provides a personalized pillow directly to your door. The only irony for me here is that I loved my Pluto pillow until my wife stole it, but now she loves it. Personalized for me, but no longer mine. Still a win for the family. Check out PlutoPillow.com. All orders receive free shipping and a 100-night guarantee. Today's episode is also brought to you by Sanity Labs. Sanity Labs provides founder and executive coaching designed by founders for founders. 
If you have considered hiring a CEO coach, but had a hard time finding one who really knew what it felt like to be in the founder or CEO seat, be sure to check out Sanity Labs. Sanity bridges leadership development with actual tactics for company building to ensure you are not alone in the hardest parts of your role. Visit sanitylabs.co for more details. That's sanitylabs.co. Now, back to Isaac. I remember a few years ago, you were telling me about the way that you began to run stand-ups at JustWorks and the way that the that that approach allowed you to create communication um, flows throughout a much larger business. And I remember being very impressed by that. And and I, w- I would love for you to share that. And I don't know if that's a practice that you've continued to this day, but I'm also very curious how communication efforts have changed with the move to remote around Corona. Yeah. So it's, it's we've been thinking a lot about this. I've been thinking a lot about this. So, you know, the scenario you're referring to was in, was around November of 2016. And, uh, you know, that's a very busy period of time for us in terms of bringing on new customers for January 1st, uh, which, so our business is quite, quite seasonal. Um, you know, and there were just some things that were not working properly in that process. And, you know, I realized it was just, you know, the right people weren't talking and they weren't talking enough. And so I, I asked my team to have a stand up every morning at 9.55. And we would literally stand in a circle in the middle of the office, uh, me and then our executives. And then at 9.50, each of them were meant to have a stand up with their uh, teams and at 9.45 for the layer below and so on. The idea was just that like, if there was a problem that it could like within a day, right, it would it would be surfaced and it could surface all the way um, to me and to my team. And so we did that um, through that period. I think we kept doing it for a couple of months after that. You know, the truth is like people, it was like kind of exhausting. So some teams kept doing a stand up, but we kind of got rid of the whole process because, you know, really like we just kind of came out of this emergency mode. And I think, you know, like there's there is this kind of like desire to keep um, to keep like a certain level of of stability in an organization and to kind of like you know keep everything the same no matter what. But the truth is like an organization has to respond to its environment in order to adapt and survive. And I think in particular, when you're in an environment where things are changing frequently, right, where there's they're not stable, that you know rapid short communication is way more important than like long communication. And so, you know, you know, I was just talking to my team this morning about this, but right now, so I have a 20 minute stand up with my leadership team right now. And basically as soon as this started to go down, you know, I talked with them and I was just like, look, I know you have a lot of things to do, but I think it's really important that we're in touch frequently, but it's only 20 minutes. So it's not a really long amount of time. It was 15 and we actually added the five. Um, but it's like enough time that, you know, whatever like the issue of the day is, we're able to connect and talk through it, you be there for each other and then kind of like go out there. But during normal operations, I think that's probably overkill. And so I think, you know, what I would, what I encourage leaders that I work with to think about 
is is like, are you in a place right now where you're just like better served with short, frequent communication versus long but less frequent communication? And I think in an environment like this, I think short, frequent communication is really valuable. Hey, can we get super tactical? What, how does that meeting run, and what preparation goes into it? Is it different because it's over video? And what's what do the mechanics actually look like? Yeah, so it's a Zoom call. Um, so sometimes the meeting simply consists of me asking each person. This is about 10 people. So it's my direct reports and then my COO's direct reports. I just ask them how they are. Um, so Camila, how are you? Rob, how are you? And, you know, they talk about home stuff and work stuff and just like whatever's going on. And, you know, the point is mainly just that we're all there for each other and we want to know how we're doing. And then some days, uh, you know, there's there's something that we need to talk about. So yesterday, for example, we had a big all hands meeting and, you know, our, their meeting was 1130 uh, and this meeting that we have is at 940. So two hours before. And I just I wanted to make sure that we were straight on what we were going to talk about. You know, obviously, you know, it's a really high stakes meeting. And so we just used the 20 minutes to kind of talk through the talking points that we had prepared for that meeting. And we didn't get a chance to to say, how are you? But you know, we use the time for something really urgent. So there's not like an agenda, there's no prep, there's no slides, there's nothing like that, but it's really just like coming together and at a baseline checking in on each other. Or if we need the time to talk about something that is truly urgent, then we can just talk about it. And how does communication flow more broadly across these hundreds of employees at JustWorks? You mentioned all hands. Are there other tools that you use and how do you use all hands to help things flow? Yeah, so we use we use Zoom like lots of companies. I think I'm sure Zoom stock is through the roof these days. Um, yeah, we're going to pause here actually for an ad for <laughs> Zoom and thank our sponsor. Yeah, they don't even. I'm sure their ad budget is probably going to zero at this point because everybody's just advertising it. Um, so we do an all hands every week. We've always done it for the whole time the company has been around, and now is no different. And so you know we have most of our employees sign on. It's 30 minutes on Thursdays. And, um, you know, the agendas vary, but if we have new employees, we like to introduce them and we do that even over Zoom. And then, um, you know, we do some of our rituals. Like yesterday, we had a bunch of awards from different departments and we gave those out, recognized those employees over, over Zoom. And then, you know, it's a chance for me and maybe other senior leaders to give an update on things or add, you know, answer questions. So that's what we do. Um, I noticed that attendance to that meeting has actually increased every week for the past three weeks, which I think just says that, you know, people want to hear what's going on and um, they want to hear it directly. So that's one thing we do. And then we basically told our managers that they should they should make sure they're seeing their employees like on video at least once a day. So you don't have to have a one-on-one with everybody every day, but you should have some kind of stand-up or some kind of meeting or check-in or whatever it is so that you're just seeing everybody at least once a day. Um, And I think that's just part of like basic human contact, but it also means that we're making sure that everybody at JustWorks is seeing at least some of their colleagues. Uh, And so, you know, there's all manner of different kinds of meetings that people have, but those are, those are the things that are pretty consistent across the organization. And do you worry as a leader about performance or the, the company continuing to execute as people are stuck in their homes and dealing with all kinds of personal and 
familial challenges as well. That's a point of stress that I've heard among other leaders, and I'm curious how you think about it. Yeah, I haven't really thought about it that much. I think, you know, I mean, the business we're in is supporting other businesses. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's unprecedented need out there. Um, and I think our team is is really focused on supporting each other and supporting our customers. And, you know, we have a really specific role to play uh, because, you know, for example, these stimulus packages that are being passed, a lot of them involve payroll credits and things like that. And so that that for us, that's actual like implementation work that we need to do. But people seem like super plugged in and ready to help each other and, and committed to kind of like getting our stuff done. So I, have, I haven't heard of anybody uh, talk about that and I haven't really thought about it. I think, I don't, I don't know, I think this is where culture makes a big difference and I think our team is just really committed. Culture because there's, a, there's already a practice in place of taking care of one another and taking care of the work? Yeah, I think, I think you know, I mean, throughout this, this, this moment that we're in, you know, we communicated very consistently that, you know, our priorities are to make sure that we take care of our people and to take care of our customers. And like, that's what matters. And that's what we're focused on. And every decision that we make is going to be, um, you know, through that lens. But the truth is, like, we've always said that that's not like a new, <laughs> it's not a new posture. And so I think our employees in general, you know, when you ask them what they like about JustWorks, they pretty consistently rate each other as the thing they like the most. And I think we have always done a really good job of holding up our customers in front of the team. So, you know, our all hands, which usually has been in person, you know, a lot of times we'll bring in a founder or CEO or COO of a customer, you know, interview them and kind of ask them mostly just about what they do for their business. And, you know, that just helps our employees connect to the businesses out there that we're supporting. Um, and so I think that those are the kinds of things that, you know, pay dividends, especially in a, an environment like this. So it sounds like you invested early on uh, clarity of mission. Um, I know that you've invested a lot in communication and expectations there and practices. You've mentioned team rituals. Uh, you've mentioned efforts to keep the team in touch with customers and kind of the ultimate purpose of the work. Um, and it sounds like uh, those have really paid dividends for you over time, which is exciting, I think, um, for founders of earlier stage companies to hear that are weighing the um, the time spent on effort of getting those things right when, you know, those early days when you're just five or 10 people and everything seems like it's on fire all the time. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously people have talked a lot about culture and company culture in the past, like the past 10 years in particular. Um, but, you know, culture is just kind of the sum of your behavioral norms. So it's like, are you a company where people meet their commitments or are you a company where it's sort of like, fine, if you don't, um, are people on time or are they late? Uh, are they nice to each other or are they jerks? And, you know, it's like when you're small, of course, you can see all those things. But when you're big, you know, you, I mean, no one can see everything that's happening, but you can kind of assume that people more or less are going to follow those norms, uh, no, whether anybody's looking or not. And then you're in a remote environment all of a sudden, <clears throat> and there's like a whole lot less looking, right? Because you're not really 
together as much. And so I think that, you know, people are still going to do the, the, the norms because that's just kind of like what you've selected for and encouraged and rewarded in your, your company. Uh, they're just going to do those things, whether you can see it or not. So for better or for worse, I think that's how it plays out. For earlier stage leaders who are trying to find their way through 2020, which now looks a lot different than the way they envisioned it, and who might be um, dealing with more company financial uncertainty, maybe dealing with uncertainty of access to outside funds in the way that they were envisioning it, maybe dealing with teams who haven't developed those norms and don't have as much history. Uh, if if your earlier self was experiencing a year like this, what advice would you give to your earlier self? I mean, the first thing is, you know, I think a lot of people, like their first reaction is to go get more money, you know, go go raise an extra round. And I suppose if the money is just there, um, then great. But I think it typically isn't because that's what happens in a tightening. So I think the first thing that that leaders need to do is make sure that they are retooling and equipping their organization to operate in a really challenging environment. And, you know, that often involves a lot of difficult decisions um, about, you know, maybe not adding people to the team, maybe letting some people go, which some companies have to do in order to survive, but is obviously very difficult for, for everyone. And, um, you know, making sure that they're only spending on, on things that are essential, right. And not things that aren't. And then, you know, once you're kind of there, then I think, you know, if you were an outside investor, for example, you might look at the company and say, okay, well, here's a company that knows how to operate in this environment and who I think has like a good shot at kind of like, not just like weathering a circumstance like this, but actually taking advantage of it in the future. And so, you know, the other thing that we've been talking a lot about at work is, you know, there are certain kinds of decisions that, um, you know, they're a little bit lopsided. Like, so you could, so something like a hiring freeze, for example, if you said like, I'm just not going to hire anybody for 30 days, you know, you could later on regret that and say, you know what? Like, I really should have hired those people a month earlier, but probably it won't matter that much. Um, like at any point you could not hire people for a month and it probably wouldn't matter. But the flip side, right. Continuing to hire people for 30 days and then realizing you wish you hadn't, I mean, the consequences are way more severe there. And so, you know, I, th I think, um, you know, I think for leaders running really any stage organization, but especially earlier ones, you know, I think being prepared to make tough decisions is important. I think finding people out there who you trust and who know you, who have kind of like been through something like this before and can share their perspective is incredibly helpful because it kind of normalizes something that feels so unusual, you know, for somebody going through it for the first time. Um, but those are, those are the big things. Do you have advice on how, how, how to do that? So I, I hear, I was on a coaching call just yesterday, actually, where the, the client was talking about a desire to really build the uh, network of advisors and mentors that were around her this year. And I'm curious what's worked for you on that front. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, not obviously, but I, you know, I talk with uh, lots of different founders and entrepreneurs and other people, um, you know, pretty often as part of 
both part of the, the customers that we serve and then just part of, I think, being a business leader is talking with other business leaders. Um, you know, like I would say the list of people who are, are sort of like in the old and wise category and, you know, 20, 20 plus years older than me and have been through a bunch more stuff than me. I don't have a ton of them that I speak with, but it really only takes a couple um, because, you know, if you have a couple of people that are all saying the same thing, you know, it's probably something to it. Uh, but I've just kind of found them over the years. Like, I don't know, you just meet people and then every so often you find someone who sticks. So I think the other thing is, you know, people are, I think people want to help. So, you know, I've gotten emails from founders, for example, that, um, just would like some perspective or want to talk and aren't trying to sell me something, for example, but just, just genuinely want help. And I'm happy to talk with them. Like that's, I can learn something from them too. And uh, maybe I could make, you know, make a difference for them or help, help make a difference. And so, you know, I, I don't think, I think people shouldn't be afraid to just email people, you know, or send a message and see if they can talk. I'm, aware as we're talking even today that your being in New York and me being in LA means that we're experiencing this pandemic in different ways. And I, I'm curious for those of us that aren't in New York, um, what might you share about what it's been like for yourself, for your family, for your, for your many employees who are, who are there in New York as all of this is unfolding? Yeah. So I think it's important to, uh, to be clear, so I'm about 90 minutes from New York City right now. So I'm in Connecticut. And I decided about um, about a week and a half ago that it would be smart for my son and I and his mom to, uh, to maybe to not be living in Manhattan while this went down. We're, we feel incredibly uh, fortunate and lucky to even be able to consider something like that. Um, many of my employees are still in New York City. Um, some live in the suburbs and some have, have gone to other parts of the US uh, earlier. But, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's pretty empty. I think people are pretty lonely. Uh, a lot of employees live by themselves. And so they're just kind of hunkered down on their own. Um, and, you know, I think probably what is really scary is that you know, the hospitals are filling or have filled and everyone knew this was going to happen because it's just a math problem. But, you know, that means that in particular, <clears throat> if you need medical help for any reason, coronavirus or otherwise, you know, it may not be available to you uh, at this time. And so, you know, I think my friends that are in New York um, that have stayed are uh, well, they're ready for this to be over. I'll put it that way. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, New Yorkers are a resilient bunch, um, and you know, we'll get through this. Well, certainly, my best wishes to the Just Works team and all of the New Yorkers that are going through this right now. As we approach the end of our time, is there anything that we've missed that you feel might be helpful to share from where you're sitting? You know, I think, uh, you know, there's some advice that I've gotten uh, from people over the years. Actually, I remember Jeff Bezos saying this, not to me because I'm so special, but at an all hands meeting when I worked at Amazon. While you were golfing together. Right. We go 
wearing our cool vests. Um, so, uh, you know, he, you know, he talks about investing, you know, into a downturn and, um, you know, sort of, sort of like leaning in when other people are leaning back. And I've been thinking about this a lot because a lot of people who I respect and admire have built companies that really, um, their position was cemented in a crisis like this. And, you know, you kind of hear the same thing over and over again, you know, things were horrible. It was awful. It was so hard. And then we looked up and all our competitors were gone or, um, you know, it was a really tough environment, but we bought some of our competitors. And when we came out of the whole thing, we were way ahead of where we'd been beforehand. And so, you know, I think that so much of the dialogue right now is around um, kind of like retrenchment and protection and sort of like girding ourselves for this, both a pandemic and an economic crisis and just, you know, kind of this like weathering the storm from like a defensive kind of posture. And I do think like protecting yourself is, is absolutely step one, but it isn't the end game. I think, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days is going to go by six months, 12 and opportunities are going to come for business leaders to, um, to, to find ways to, to take share and like actually, um, you know, prosper in, in a time like this. And so, you know, somebody told me once the first rule of entrepreneurship is to stay in business, which I thought was pretty great. Um, but I, I think I would just encourage your listeners to, to keep in the back of their minds that like a moment's going to come when they can go on the offense and they need to last long enough to like get to that moment. But, you know, just being on, on, on defense isn't enough either. And so I know we're thinking about that. Our team is thinking about that. Um, but I think it's, I think it's big and I think it is, that's not really in the, in the conversation right now. Um, and it's going to be different for everybody, but that's, that's the one thing I, I think people should be thinking about. Yeah. It's interesting in the midst of the, the scuff, the suffering and in the midst of the uncertainty to think about the ways that we might be stronger and clearer as a result. Um, I've been thinking about that in, in my personal life and in my family life and, and just the experiences that we're having together and what that, what clarity that might bring for us going forward. Um, but I think certainly for leaders of companies as well, it's an interesting way to frame this time, both for themselves and for their teams. So thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, of course. It certainly helps you understand what's important. So I think that's a gift. Yeah. On that note, this is a time where, um, it becomes really clear the value of relationships and the value of friendship. And I want to thank you, man, for taking time to be here today uh, during this busy time. And also, also thank you for your friendship through all of these years and through this time as well. Really appreciate you. Thanks. It was so nice to talk with you and I hope to see you soon in person. Looking forward to it. Thanks, man. How was that for you? It's good. It was easy. You're really good at this. That's today's episode. Reminder to please follow and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your positive reviews really are our lifeblood. Lastly, if you have any questions or topics you'd like covered in an upcoming episode or any feedback at all, 
please email us at questions at thesanitypod.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. We're so glad you did.